Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. college football listen we have to go through all of the the winter and the spring and the summer without college football cherish every one of these but this one is especially special a lot of great games texas oklahoma red river shootout uh alabama at AM, kentucky at georgia lsu at missouri notre dame at louisville we got so much to get into so much to break down with this show so excited for the week six slate uh and we're going to get into it momentarily before we do, do want to give you a couple quick reminders. One, make sure you're subscribed to the College Football Betting Pod, Apple, Spotify, also the College Football Betting Pod YouTube channel, where we have our full episodes and our individual game previews. If you could help us grow, tell a friend, share with a friend. I think this show does as good a breaking down games as anybody in the college football media. So if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Also go to the College Football Betting YouTube page. On top of that, We have another major announcement that we made last week. Legal sports betting has come to the state of Kentucky and college football betting with Aaron Torres, as well as the Aaron Torres podcast have partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Here is the cool part though. DraftKings is actually offering a very special promo for first time users, first time customers of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here is that deal. You bet $5 on any game, college, pro, football, basketball is coming. You get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Torres. That's Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S, at checkout. All you got to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. As I said, bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets, all courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook, when you use the code Torres. Thank you to DraftKings. So fired up to be working with them and so fired up for legal sports betting in the beautiful state of Kentucky. With that said, let's dive into a loaded week six slate. And let's be honest, there is only one place to start, and that is at the incredible Red River Shootout. And yes, we still call it the Red River Shootout here on College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Texas, a six and a half point favorite over Oklahoma, both teams in the top 25. The over-under in the DraftKings Sportsbook is set at 60. And when I look at this game, you know, a couple things stand out. First of all, it's great to have these two teams elite playing at a high level, right? Last year, it was such a disappointment. Oklahoma wasn't really right. In previous years, Texas hasn't really been good. These are, in my opinion, the two best teams in the Big 12, uh, operating certainly not at the highest level, but I think collectively at about a higher level than they've been as a pair. Now, Oklahoma has been up, but Texas hasn't been what they've been in quite some time. And let's start with Texas because I just want to go ahead and give them credit, right? Because listen, I'm in the college football media Everybody makes fun of Texas. Everybody has the is Texas back joke. I give them a ton of credit. 
I said, even after they beat Alabama, I said, let's pump the brakes on Texas's back. Texas won't be back when they win a big game. To their credit, they have won other big games. They've beaten Oklahoma. They beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl a few years ago. Texas will be back. And if Texas wants to prove that it is at an elite level, they'll do what Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan and all these other programs do. It's not just about the big games. It's when you are a 21-point favorite, a 28-point favorite, a 17-point favorite, can you handle business? Can you go out, know you're the best team, and execute at the highest level? And that's what Texas has done over the last few weeks, and that is why I am so impressed with this team. They destroyed Kansas last week, and I say that as a Kansas backer. That game was not even competitive in Austin. The week before, against Baylor, took care of business. I know Wyoming was close for a while. But this Texas team, it would have been easy last week to overlook Kansas, and that game was never really competitive. And that's what really kind of stands out about this game and this matchup. Top 20 matchup, but Texas, in my opinion, is operating like an elite program right now for the first time in about 15 years, and they're playing at an elite level pretty much across the board. If you look at pretty much any stat, Texas is at the top. Top 20 offense, top 20 defense elite offensive line, uh, good rushing attack. By the way, top 20 in turnover margin, so they're taking care of the ball. All those things that for so many years used to doom Texas, they have gotten it taken care of, and I give them so much credit because, again, I think they're operating at about as high a level as I have seen from Texas, frankly, since probably the Colt McCoy era as they come into this one 5-0. and and, I, and frankly, none of them have really even been close, right? Alabama was into the fourth quarter, but even in that game, they pulled away. Oklahoma, to me, though, is much more interesting. First off, do want to give them credit. Um, they obviously last year went six and seven. Now, if you remember back to last year, I thought some of the narratives on Oklahoma were probably a little bit unfair. Um, because if you go back to last year, they went six and seven. But the only two times they got blown out, Texas in this game and TCU, Dylan Gabriel was not available. Their other five losses were all by a touchdown or less, and I believe four of them, I could be mistaken on that, were by a field goal. So this was a team, listen, they were competitive with Florida State in their their, their bowl game. They were competitive with other good teams across the sport. But Oklahoma, the goal is not to be competitive. The goal is to win conference titles and national titles. And I give them credit because they do look much better coming into this game. And what really stands out is two things. One, Dylan Gabriel is a freaking dog, right? And I think this is the game where if he is who I think he has the capability of being, this is his kind of Heisman platform, right? Like you think about Quinn Ewers at, at Alabama. You think about Jordan Travis against LSU. You think about um, whoever. I'm just trying to think of guys. Michael Penix next week. Bo Nix against Colorado. When you have this stage, if you're an elite player, you take advantage of it. So far, Dylan Gabriel has been an elite player, 75% completion percentage, 15 touchdowns, just two interceptions, over 1,500 yards passing. The other thing about Oklahoma, this is a Brent Venables defense from this perspective. They're very disruptive, and they cause chaos and turnovers, okay? Last year, this defense was a mess, and I think that was part of who he inherited, part of scheme, part of whatever, I don't blame Brent Venables to be clear. I'm just 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 so it's clear. But they were the worst team, the, the worst defense statistically in the Big 12. Credit to Venables, brought in a couple five stars, brought in a bunch of dudes in the portal. And while statistically they're not elite, they're not there yet. It's going to take two or three more recruiting classes. 
They are much improved on defense. And I think the thing that stands out to me is the turnovers and turnover margin. This is a team that is top 15 nationally in turnover margin, okay? They are number two in the country in total turnovers forced and number one in the country in interceptions with 10 through five games. So we were hoping this defense would be improved. I don't even think we were hoping. Like, I think it was like if Brent Venables can't improve this defense, he might not be the guy. But they are much, much, much better, and that is what makes this game intriguing. In terms of this specific matchup, the one thing I will say, though, while Oklahoma has been good, this is going to be a major step up in competition. You look at who they've played this year, Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, Iowa State, and Cincinnati in league play. None of those teams are very good. Cincinnati's probably the best team. They're two and three on a three-game losing streak. SMU is three and two. And so that, to me, when I start to handicap this game, I'm a little concerned. Now, Texas, they haven't played elite, elite competition outside of Alabama. And even Alabama is pretty one-dimensional when it comes to their offense. But at the same time, Texas has won on the road at Baylor in a hostile environment, dominated, dominated Kansas last week. And you look at Oklahoma, I'm not discrediting what they've done, but a couple things stand out. The competition has not been good. They have played five teams. One of them is, is half decent in SMU. There are two other concerns beyond that. As good as Dylan Gabriel has been, it is worth noting the numbers aren't quite as good in league play. And by the way, that's a lot of quarterbacks. Not a, It's not tear down Dylan Gabriel's season here on, uh, on the show. But at the same time, 82% completion percentage in the three out-of-conference games, 11 touchdowns, one interception. The two league games, four touchdowns, one interception, 67% completion percentage. And it goes without saying, this is by far the best defensive front that he will see all year long, at least to this point. So how does he handle that pressure? How does he handle a Texas defense, which is in the top 20 in terms of total defense, in terms of tackles for loss, they're getting after quarter, the quarterback, all that good stuff. That's especially the case, by the way, Oklahoma's not running the ball very effectively. They're 66th in the country in rushing, about 150 yards per game. That's great. But again, how do you handle the best defensive front that you have seen so far to date? The other thing that concerns me a little bit about that Oklahoma defense, I kind of praise them for all of the things that they do in terms of, of, of turnovers and, and forced turnovers but they're still not a great defense statistically. Now they're good. I wouldn't use the word great with them though. 31st nationally in total defense, but against the pass, they are only 53rd in the country. And so again, this is a team they're giving up yards, but they're getting stops at the right time. You know what this almost reminds me of? And this is a much watered down version. Last year, USC was terrible. Ironically, I know Oklahoma fans are mad I brought up that, you know, you know who, you know where. But USC last year, they made it the Pac-12 title game. And so much of it was the defense was terrible, but the defense was opportunistic. They were number one in turnover margin, number one in turnovers forced, and eventually just caught up with them at the end of the season. I bring it up to say Oklahoma isn't that. They're much better. They're much more talented, to be clear, Oklahoma fans. But at the same time, they are relying overly on turnovers, and Texas is a team that is not turning the ball over very much. And so when I look at this game, when I preview this game, when I pick this game, I do have an official best bet. I'm going to stay away from the over-under, but I'm going to take Texas to win outright and to cover. Now, to be clear, this has historically been a very close competitive game. But what stands out to me, I just think Texas is more battle-tested. 
You go on the road at a night game at Baylor. I know that Oklahoma played at Cincinnati. Feel like it's different big noon kickoff at Cincinnati in a noon Eastern time slot as opposed to nighttime at in Waco. In-state rival, you're leaving for the Big Twelve. You're leaving the Big Twelve for the SEC. They're a long-time rival dating back to the Southwest, Southwest Conference days. So I think uh, Texas is a little bit more battle tested. Again, obviously, it goes without saying. Win at Alabama, and two, I just need to see it to believe it with Oklahoma. I think Dylan Gabriel's a really, really good quarterback. This is his chance to really put his name in that Heisman conversation. But it's hard for me to believe against the best defensive front that he has seen all year against the best defense that he has seen all year, that he is going to be able to put up the numbers that he has. And that's why I like Texas. I think it's close. I think it's competitive. Last year it got ugly. What was it? I I won't even say the score. It was a lot to a little. This year I do think it's close. I'll say Texas 31, Oklahoma 21. No, I'll go Texas 34, Oklahoma 24. Texas wins. Texas covers. That is my official pick for the Red River shoot. Alabama at Texas A&M game. Very interesting line movement here. Alabama opened as about a five-point road favorite in College Station. As I record here late Tuesday, it is down to two and a half points. The over-under set at 46 and a half. In other words, all of the money, all of the professional bettors, they are taking the Texas A&M Aggies at home. It is worth noting, by the way, these have been two very competitive games over the last two years. Texas A&M beat Alabama two years ago in College Station. And of course, last year, it came down to the final play in Tuscaloosa. Big picture, you know, one thing that I think is kind of interesting, and I put this out on Twitter on Tuesday afternoon, is I I am curious how people will perceive this game, right? Alabama and A&M already have a loss. So if Texas A&M in theory is to win, does it become, oh, both these teams are completely overrated, Who cares? They already took a loss in the out of conference or is it? And this is where I think it is. I I think both teams are getting better. And I think the team that wins this game should feel really good again about being in control of the sec West and at least getting to Atlanta. We could talk college football playoff down the road, but I, I think both teams should feel really good coming out of this game. If they are able to get the win in terms of these two teams, listen, I think they're both really good. And as I said, they're both starting to figure things out. From the Texas A&M perspective, I know that it has been all negative for the last 18 months in College Station. And I know that they got smoked in Miami a few weeks ago. But this has looked like a very good team over the first two weeks of SEC play, a dominant win over Auburn at home, a dominant win over Arkansas at Jerry World. And the thing that stands out to me about this team is something we talked about on Monday's Aaron Torres pod. It is the fact that this team and this defense, specifically those young guys, right? We spent so much time talking about that 2022 recruiting class. Then some of them came to campus. It didn't work out last year. You had some behavioral issues with some of them. Well, a few of them are gone, but the ones that are there are all balling out. And this has become an elite defense early in the season, especially along the defensive line. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about it. And again, I say this all the time. I'm not an NFL draft evaluator. I'm not a recruiting expert. But when I just look body for body, player for player, I think you can argue Texas A&M has as good of a defensive line and defensive front as anybody in college football. First of all, in terms of the defense itself, a top 20 pass defense, a top 10 run defense, but more than anything, this team gets after the quarterback at an insane level, okay? Texas A&M currently through five games. So we're basically at the halfway point this season. 
49 tackles for loss. That is the third most in college football. By the way, 15 alone against Arkansas. Sam Pittman, like the, the Arkansas fans are melting down right now on Sam Pittman and on that offensive line because they could not keep AM out of the backfield last week. Also 20 sacks on the season, which is also third in college football. And again, it's a lot of the young guys that came in two, three years or uh, two years ago in the 2022 class, some of the older guys. But I looked it up on Tuesday and Edron Cooper, a uh, linebacker, and then Shamar Turner and Walter Nolan. How about this? Three elite guys all in the top like 30 nationally in tackles for loss. So they have multiple guys that are getting after it, getting after the quarterback. Then on top of that, I really think this offense is really starting to figure it out. And I know, again, we know what all the national AM narratives are. Oh my goodness, how was it going to work with Bobby Petrino? How was it going to work with Jimbo Fisher? Well, it's working pretty well so far. And as a matter of fact, if you listen to Jimbo Fisher's media availability on Monday, he basically was gushing about Bobby Petrino. Now, Bobby Petrino has no say over uh, over turnovers, but Texas A&M on the season, a top 35 total offense and a team that is putting up close to 38 points per game. Remember, this was a team that didn't score 40 points in a single game all of last year. They are averaging 38 at nearly the midway point this year. Texas A&M, listen, I know they have critics. I know this is a good team. They're coming along. Don't believe the narratives. Trust your eyes. Trust Torres. This is a really good football team. From the Alabama perspective, I'll be blunt. I Listen, you know, where Aaron was right, I told you two or three weeks ago, remember all the quarterback drama and the quarterback controversy and what does it mean? This guy started, then this guy got benched, and then this guy started... And what I said was when they went back to Jalen Milrow, this is football 101. Again, you don't have to be, uh, uh, you know, whoever. You don't have to be Lewis Riddick or Joe, you know, Troy Aikman or Greg Olson to figure out. Alabama figured a couple things out after that South Florida game. Offensive line can't pass block, but the defense is really good. And the best chance they have is to give the ball to Jalen Milrow and let Jalen Milrow make plays with his feet. Don't put too much on his plate. Don't put too much pressure on him, the starting quarterback. Instead, let him make plays with his feet, rely on the defense, trust that defense, move the clock, and win games no matter how ugly it is. Well, to the defense's credit, the defense has been phenomenal all year, including that Texas game, by the way. People keep forgetting. Alabama had the lead in the fourth quarter against Texas, and then eventually uh, the, the defense was just on the field for entirely too long. But even against Texas, 13 points going into the fourth quarter. Well, how about the last two weeks? You know that Ole Miss team that put up 706 yards of total offense last week against LSU? 55 points. They had 10 against Alabama when they played in Tuscaloosa. That Ole Miss offense scored one touchdown on the opening drive and then did not find the end zone again the rest of the game. They found it seven separate times against LSU. For, uh, you know, offensively for Alabama. So we just talked about the defense. Defense is really good. By the way, Dallas Turner. Dallas Turner's kind of having the year that we all expected Will Anderson to have last year. Don't know if, for, for those of you who are new to the show, Will Anderson was my preseason, preseason Heisman Trophy winner two years ago. So not this past fall, but the previous fall. Dallas Turner's kind of having that season. So the defense is awesome. But in this game specifically, I'll be blunt. I'm curious what they do with the offense. Because the offense, as I said, it is very clearly... Give Jalen Milrow the ball, chew up the clock, run as much as you can, and try to win games ugly. 
They did it a few weeks ago against uh, Ole Miss. But then last week, to their credit, they, they were able to move the ball a little bit more effectively. But even in that game, this is what stood out to me. They, they beat Mississippi State on the road last week. They put up 40 points, okay? They put up 40 points. That's what everybody wants to talk about. But here's what you need to know about that game that I found especially interesting. They still only had 164 yards passing. Jalen Milrow with 13 pass attempts and 12 rush attempts. In other words, Jalen Milrow is essentially as much of a running back right now as he is a quarterback. And so when I look ahead to this game, I'll be blunt. I just don't know if that is how you can play against this Texas A&M defense. Now, I think there's a lot of other teams that you can play like that against. You know, Alabama is going to play Kentucky later in the year. I think that's a good game plan for Kentucky. I think it's a good game plan for Ole Miss, for Mississippi State. But this Texas A&M team, what did I just say? They get after the quarterback. They make plays in the backfield. That does not sound conducive to a team in Alabama that doesn't have much of a vertical passing game, a deep passing game, if you will, and instead is relying on Jalen Milrow to make plays with his feet and to run the ball. And so when I look at this game, I think a couple things stand out. A&M has the home field advantage. We know how big that is in the SEC. That goes without saying. Two, beyond that, I think they have the better quarterback. Max Johnson is playing really good football right now for Texas A&M. They've scored 54 points in the last three halves, which is like basically, you know, two touchdowns a half since he took over. That's not elite, but it's good enough. The run game is coming along really strong. And right now, Texas A&M has the more balanced offense with the run pass game. Didn't even mention it earlier, Le'Veon Moss, another guy that was part of that 2022 recruiting class. He is averaging over 100 yards rushing in the two SEC games so far this year. And three, I just don't know how Alabama is going to move the ball in this game. And I'm not saying A&M wins 31 to three, but I just think there are certain ways. And this feels like to me, one of those styles make fights type games in college football, right? I think there are teams that Alabama is going to win by three touchdowns against. I just don't think this is the team on the flip side. I think there's a way to beat A&M and it's don't let all those big guys up front get in the backfield. Don't try to run the ball a million times. You have to be able to pass the ball. You have to be able to get rid of the ball quickly. I think LSU could give AM fits later in the year. I think Ole Miss could give them later fits later in the year. But on this game, on this Saturday coming up in College Station, I have an official pick and it's only Wednesday, baby. I like Texas AM. If you want to call it an upset as a two and a half point underdog at home to win outright, give me the Aggies 27 14. I just don't think Alabama is going to be able to move the ball against this Texas A&M defense. Again, there are ways to beat A&M. I don't know if Alabama has the blueprint to do it. Let's switch gears to the other game that really uh, is going to shake up and, and really kind of define the SEC picture this coming uh, season. That is the bell of the ball. The Kentucky Wildcats, they go to Georgia to face the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia, of course, coming off that emotional win over Auburn. Interesting line movement in this one as well. Georgia opened as a 15-point home favorite. Now down to 14. The over-under in this game is 49. And when I look at this game, listen, we gave flowers to Kentucky and Mark Stoops on Monday's Aaron Torres pod. We're going to have to do it again today because that, listen, that was not just a big win. That was a historic win from the perspective that I don't think anyone listening to this show, watching the show, whatever, has ever seen Kentucky absolutely manhandle the Florida Gators like that. I mean, it was complete domination, as we discussed on Monday, 329 yards rushing, 
for the Kentucky Wildcats against the Florida Gators. I don't care how bad Florida is. I don't care how much lack of offense that they have. That is not Florida should never be giving up 329 yards rushing to an SEC opponent, nine yards per carry. Ray Davis kind of becomes a national household name. And also, like, it's important to note is that Kentucky's defense played really well as well. Florida was a play or two away from absolutely getting blown out. They do finish with just barely 300 yards of total offense. But Kentucky had nine tackles for loss in that game, three sacks. So they got after the quarterback as well. They made plays in the backfield as well. And so I look at that game, as I said, it was as much of a Kentucky butt kicking as any of us could have seen or imagined. Um, But I do think the one thing that I will say about Kentucky that does need to kind of get fixed going forward, they got to figure out the pass game with Devin Leary. And I'll be honest, listen, I was one of those people, right? I was one of those guys that in the preseason, I was praising Devin Leary to the heavens, right? I said, he's a transfer quarterback, NC State. He was really good at NC State. Two years ago in 2021, gets hurt last season. Said, oh, I'll go to Kentucky. I'll have a big bounce back with Liam Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator. Well, as of right now, Devin Leary isn't playing very well. Now, Saturday, he didn't have to do very much except for hand off the ball to Ray Davis, get behind that big blue wall, the offensive line. But you're going to need a better game from Devin Leary in this game just because you're not going to be able to just run the ball right at Georgia. Kind of goes without saying. Devin Leary on the season, 57% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, five interceptions, which is kind of jarring, again, for a guy like myself who thought that this was going to be a very good college quarterback. Now, from the Georgia perspective, Georgia to me is like very interesting because they're 5-0. and They haven't really looked very good in any of their games, certainly their marquee games. Trailed at the half to South Carolina, uh, was tied at the half, tied after three quarters against Auburn last week. Now, as Kirby Smart said, and I think it's worth noting, going on the uh, going on the road in the SEC is not easy. Winning on the road in the SEC is not easy, and I give Kirby Smart credit. He didn't get caught up in all the minutia. What does it mean? What do we, maybe behind the scenes he's frustrated? Maybe behind the scenes he knows that there's a lot of stuff to work on. But publicly, he was praiseworthy of that team for getting the win at all. Now, for Georgia, interesting to me, it's kind of the opposite almost of what I think about Kentucky. I thought Carson Beck, the first-year starter quarterback, I thought he actually came along very nicely in that Auburn game. Now, it helps when you have break, uh, Brock Bowers, excuse me, I don't know why I said Blake, Brock Bowers to throw the ball to. And Brock Bowers was incredible. I think Brock Bowers is going to be in the Heisman contention throughout the year. He's going to be a top-10 pick come the NFL draft. Um, but I thought uh, uh, Carson Beck, the quarterback, really did a good job of getting comfortable Uh, And looked, I thought, in the second half, the best that he has looked all year. What's wild about Georgia, though, the things that they're usually relying on, they're not very good this year. I mean, they're okay, but they're not Georgia good. They're not what we have come to expect from Georgia. Just for fun, I looked it up, okay? So Georgia's run game has always kind of been their, their signature thing. And I think with Stetson Bennett last year, they had to rely on it less. But. Last year, they ranked in the top 20 nationally in rush offense. They were 19th nationally in rush offense a season ago. This year, they rank 79th nationally in rushing offense, okay? That is insane. 79th nationally in rushing offense, averaging 148 yards per game, about 25 yards per game fewer. Here's the crazy part, though. Their run defense has not been good. And this is the team, Georgia, right? Like we always talk about Georgia, all those big guys up front, all that physicality, all that toughness, all that skill. 
You know that Georgia right now? And you would sit here and say, that's not that bad. They rank 39th nationally in rush defense. That sounds, oh, that's not bad. That's that's awesome. Top 40 nationally, that's good. Here's the thing. Go back to 2022, 2021, 2020, and 2019. You know what Georgia had in common in all four years between 2019 and 2022? They ranked either number one or number two nationally in rush defense, given about somewhere between 73 and 77 yards per game in all four seasons. And so I bring it up because they're averaging about 50 yards per less rush uh, rushing on the ground and like 75, they're giving up 75 more yards on the ground per game as well. And so when you start talking about this game, I can see it being close. I can see it being competitive because I think Kentucky's going to have relative success running the ball. By the way, this is a series that has been very, very, very close through the years, probably closer than I think a lot of people realize. Last year, Georgia, they had a couple close regular season games at Missouri, at Kentucky. They win 16-6. Two years ago, 30-13 to Georgia wins, but that was about as tough as anybody played them during the regular season in that 2021 title run. Georgia won 14-3 to during the COVID year in 2020, 21 to nothing in the 2019 season. So really these have been close and low scoring games. And if you had to make me pick a side, if you had to make me bet it, I think under is the best bet by a mile. Kentucky, they always, even with the star quarterbacks, always played close, always play low scoring on the road in the SEC. For fun, I looked it up. If you take out Vanderbilt, when they play Vanderbilt on the road, Vanderbilt doesn't count, they're terrible. Every single game, that Kentucky has played on the road since the start of last season in the SEC has gone under 50 points. One hit 50 exactly. That was Tennessee last year. They lost 44 to six. Hendon Hooker was incredible. But from the Kentucky perspective, they play close, low scoring games on the road. And this is a close, low scoring series. So if you're asking me to pick the game, I'll say Georgia wins somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 to 14. I like the Kentucky spread bet, but I like the under bet even more. I think this is close and competitive. It's hard for me to pick against Georgia at home, especially coming off a, you know, a, a tough road win. But I think Kentucky shows again that they are a great program, a great team, ascending team. I just think it's a lot to ask to go on uh, between the hedges and win this game. All right, everybody, I'm back. Going to be back, going to be back. Uh, let's get to the rest of the week six slate, uh, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code TORRES. Thank you to DraftKings. But that said, I do want to move on. And there is uh, an interesting, you know, speaking of legal sports betting coming in the state of Kentucky, there is an interesting top 25 matchup in the state of Kentucky. Kentucky, Georgia is in Athens, but how about this? Notre Dame at Louisville. Louisville is ranked. Louisville is undefeated. Notre Dame comes into this game as a five point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. The over under is set at 54. Now, let me say this. Last week, I got a little bit of pushback from you guys and girls. Got some DMs, got some... Taurus, how are you going to do a college football betting show and not talk Notre Dame-Duke, a top 20 matchup that, of course, that's where college game day was? Well, I'm not going to make the same mistake because we have a top 25 matchup. This is the 730 Eastern ABC game. 
Uh, Marcus Freeman a few weeks ago, if you saw the video when he found out that this was a night kickoff, he was not happy, but it speaks to Notre Dame is a huge brand. And the other thing about Notre Dame, can't say they haven't played anybody this year. Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, next week, USC. So they will go into their bye having played four straight ranked opponents when they played them. And at this point with Notre Dame, like, I don't think you need me to tell you much about them. We've all seen them. We watched them in week zero. We watched them against Ohio State. We watched them last Saturday. You know about Sam Hartman. You know that Audric Estime is the leading rusher in all of college football right now. Now, admittedly, they played an extra game because they played in week zero. But I bring it up because what I don't think enough people are talking about on a national scale is the job that Jeff Brom has done at Louisville. And it's fascinating, right? You know, we spend so much time talking about the coaching carousel. Like we spent months talking about the Auburn job. Who would get it? Who should get it? Hugh Freeze gets it. What did he do in the portal? What did he do here? What did he do there? Uh, Same with Colorado coach prime. But Louisville, and I think it was because the whole thing happened so late, right? Scott Satterfield takes the Cincinnati job late. From there, Jeff Brom leaves Purdue. I don't think the Jeff Brom hire got enough, uh, you know, pub and and, and respect and credit that that it deserved. Because this was a guy that led Purdue to eight wins last year, led them to the Big Ten West title, led them to a Big Ten championship game, and he goes back to his home city school at Louisville. And to their credit, they're 5-0, and oh, and they look like a Jeff Brom well-oiled machine. Jack Plummer is leading that offense, 11 touchdowns. I think he's got about 14, 14, uh, 14, 1,500 yards passing through five games. They're moving the ball, a top 15 offense nationally in year one for Jeff Brom. And it's only going to get better as he gets more comfortable, as he gets more guys into that system. It is a process. It is a rebuild. And he is way ahead of schedule. Now, in terms of this game itself, I will say that while Louisville is at home, While the crowd will be electric, I've been to that stadium. It is a great stadium for a big game. Um, I will also say there are some things that worry me from the Louisville perspective. One, Jack Plummer, look, great story, came with Jeff Brom. We get all that, okay? And, And it's not to say that he's not great and that the Louisville story isn't great. But at the same time, like, he has been a guy that has been a little bit turnover prone. By the way, at some point, just let the record show, I'm going to call Jack Plummer, Jake Plummer, and you're just going to have to deal with it, okay? Because I almost did it twice already. I'm probably going to do it again. But this was a guy that played for Jeff Brom at Louisville, leaves, now goes to, to he went out west for a year. Now he's at, at Purdue, or at Louisville, or at Louisville, excuse me. But I bring it up because as good as he's been, he has been turnover prone. Louisville passes the ball a lot. He's got six interceptions through five games, including two last week in a narrow win over, uh, over North Carolina State. The second thing, and I think this is a big deal, Louisville, again, Jeff Brom offense. It's about explosive plays. I don't think Louisville quite has the guys that Jeff Brom wants, the Rondale Moores, the um, David Bells, the guys that he had at Purdue. And the other concern is that Notre Dame is actually good at stopping big plays. So Louisville is number two in the country in explosive play. Well, plays over 30 yards. Explosive plays isn't 30 yards, but plays over 30 yards. And Notre Dame is in the top 10 nationally in fewest yards per completion allowed. So in other words, few, not many teams are doing a better job of making plays, making open field tackles in the passing game than Notre Dame. And keep in mind, by the way, they slowed down the Ohio State offense like two weeks ago, slowed down Duke last week. This defense is pretty good. And really that last part, I think to me is the important part, right? Notre Dame is battle tested. You go 3,000 miles or, you know, five, 10,000 miles away, whatever it is to Ireland. But then you come back, you play Ohio State down to literally the final play of the game. 
could have won, maybe should have won, you know, depending on how you feel about that game. Last week, you you go to Duke, you take care of business. Remember, they went, went to NC State earlier in the year and crushed NC State, the same NC State team that Louisville barely survived. Now, admittedly, for Louisville, it was a look-ahead game, whatever. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is this. Louisville, it's a great story. There's no doubt they're ahead of schedule. But I just don't know if they're ready for this stage with, with Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame wins this one, sets up a very interesting game next week against USC, what we would expect to be a top 20 matchup, a top 15 matchup, maybe a top 10 matchup, depending on how this game goes. I do expect uh, Notre Dame to win and to cover. There is one other top 10 matchup or top 25 matchup, excuse me, that I have not discussed. How about this one for a curveball? LSU coming off a game where they gave up roughly a million points, a little bit of hyperbole, but not by much. They are still ranked at three and two. They travel to face one of only three undefeated teams in the SEC. That is the Missouri Tigers. That is right. Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, only undefeated teams in the SEC at this point. Uh, and this is an interesting one. LSU is a five and a half point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook in this game. Uh, on top of that, the over under for this game is set at 64 and a half. Obviously, Vegas expects a high scoring game and for good reason. It is because LSU's defense is not that good. And let me just do a quick thing. One, I do think LSU, like it is interesting. First of all, tough schedule break. I don't know that I ever remember a team having three SEC road games by the first weekend of October. I don't know if that's happened before. I don't remember it, okay? But at the same time, let me also say this. This will be their third SEC road game, by the way. Same time, let me also say this. I don't care about anything when it comes to LSU other than this. I don't care about your scholarship numbers. I don't care about attrition. I don't care about the transfer portal. I don't care about missed recruiting by the previous coaching staff. There is never a scenario in the world where LSU should ever, 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 ever give up 700 yards of total offense. And oh, by the way, on top of that, uh, 55 points like they did against Ole Miss. I know Lane Kiffin is a savant. I know Ole Miss has players too, but 700 yards, that is insane. Only that's what LSU is coming off of. And it's also worth noting, by the way, uh, that it's especially frustrating because the offense is like as fun to watch as anybody in college football. LSU, number one offense in all of the SEC. Jaden Daniels, I think, is playing at a Heisman Trophy level. Now, he's not going to get Heisman Trophy credit because the defense has been so bad. But he is dynamic. The run game is getting there. And here's the scary part. I think LSU has the best wide receiver combo in college football, and I include Ohio State in that with Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka. Do you understand what LSU's receivers are doing? Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas, they have combined through five games for 13 touchdowns combined and 73 catches through five games. That is insane, and it speaks to how good this offense is. It speaks to how frustrating, by the way, it must be to be an LSU fan with the way the defense is playing. Now, from the Missouri perspective, you know, what did we just talk about with with um, with Louisville? Who have you played? Where have you played them? What is the situation? For Missouri, we'll get to the schedule in a minute. The positives, a lot like Louisville. The reason the over-under is as high as it is, really explosive offense. Brady Cook has been phenomenal. 74% completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. If this guy played, you know, listen, you know, again, it's kind of what I said a minute ago, kind of with Dylan Gabriel in the first segment is like, if this guy does, if this guy goes off, I know it'll be LSU, 
But I mean, you can't put, not put this guy in the Heisman Trophy conversation if they're tied for first in the SEC East race, uh, six and zero, and he's putting up incredible stats through the beginning of the season. Now we'll see if it happens. But I just bring it up to say that he is having an incredible year. And then Luther Burden, this was a former five-star kid, decided to stay home. He is phenomenal. 43 catches, five touchdowns through uh, the first five games of the season. Theo Wees, a transfer from Oklahoma, 24 catches, three touchdowns as well. So they got an explosive pass offense like LSU. They also got a pass defense that isn't very good, 91st nationally. And I know that statistically the teams that they have played are pretty good. But when I say great pass offenses, Kansas State and Vanderbilt and Middle Tennessee State are not the first teams that come to mind. And when I look at this game, I think that's what it boils down to for me. We just talked about it with Louisville and Notre Dame. How battle-tested was Louisville? And I'll ask the same question here with LSU-Missouri. How battle-tested is Missouri? Because you can criticize LSU for everything. But they've already won in dominant fashion on the road against Mississippi State. They already played Florida State on a neutral field that was in Orlando. It wasn't even neutral. It was mostly Florida State fans. And they played, obviously, a week ago at Ole Miss. They are battle-tested. They are tough. They have been through a lot. Missouri, they have played five games. South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, Kansas State at home, Memphis, and at Vanderbilt. The first four games were all in the state of Missouri. The fifth one was at Vandy. Not exactly the toughest place to go uh, for SEC opponents. And so I bring it up because I just don't know what to expect from Missouri. Listen, LSU is limited, but you can't say that they won't be ready for this game. I thought Brian Kelly, listen, I know LSU fans are mad. I thought Brian Kelly handled this week pretty well. He didn't place it all on the defensive coordinator. He said it's a group effort. He did bring in some outside consultation, if you will, but didn't place it all on the defensive coordinator and basically said, like, it's on all of us to get this thing fixed. I don't know if it happens this week, but I do think they do enough to win. I do think they do enough to cover. And what's interesting, I was thinking about this. Last thought, we'll get to the rest of the games. LSU, Missouri's 5-0 and at home and undefeated. LSU is coming off a game in which they gave up 55 points and 700 yards. And LSU is still close to a touchdown favorite. I don't love taking road favorites, but I did it with Notre Dame, and I'm going to do it here. I think LSU is the right side. Last kind of big game that we'll break down, and we'll kind of rip through some of the other ones. It's the big noon kickoff game between Ohio State and Notre, uh, uh, Maryland. How about this? Another matchup of undefeated teams. Maryland is not ranked at this point. But Ohio State, a 20-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook, the over-under at 57. And I think there's a, a few different ways to look at this. One from the Ohio State perspective. Listen, let's give them credit, okay? I know, and I was I, I kind of poked at Ryan Day a little bit after the Lou Holtz stuff, and I thought it was a little weird, an $8, 9000000 million a year head coach going after Lou Holtz. But one, it was an emotional win, and I think this Ohio State team, I think they showed me something in that game, and really even the game before against Western Kentucky, is that they're not a one-trick pony. I do think in some of the previous couple years, specifically two years ago in 2021, um, you know, they, the defense was bad, the defense was soft. I don't think that's the case this year. This, to me, is the most balanced Ohio State team since the 2019 team that won the Big Ten, went to the college football playoff, and I won't tell you what happened from there, Ohio State fans, because you already know. But this is a team that is in the top 10 nationally in total defense. They are giving up about 250 yards per game. This is a team that is top 10 nationally in pass defense, which is pretty good considering what they did with Sam Hartman a few weeks ago. Also, remember, they played Western Kentucky, which is one of the best pass offenses in college football as well. They're top 10 nationally in rush defense. Surprise, surprise, surprise. 
and then finally, on top of that, uh, they are giving up a grand total of, are you ready for this? Let me make sure I have my stats correct here. Ohio State is giving up a grand total of eight and a half points per game. And so I look at this team, the defense is getting there. The run game with Travion Henderson statistically has not been great, but he looks like he did his freshman year when he was breaking all of Maurice Claret's records. And Kyle McCord's good. I don't think he's C.J. Stroud. I don't think he's Justin Fields, but he's good enough, especially when you have Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka to throw the ball to. And so I like this Ohio State team. I think they're as balanced as anybody in the country. I think they maybe have as few weaknesses as anybody in the country. And then for Maryland, I just don't know really what to expect. And let me say this about Maryland, okay? I want to be abundantly clear. Um, I have been as wrong about Maryland. Like, like I can't hit a Maryland bet to save my life. Let's let's get that. Let's just call a spade a spade, okay? They are like the most zigzag team that I've ever seen. They zig when you think they're going to zag. They zag when you think they're going to zig. When you think they're going to dominate, they, they end up either losing or it's a close game. When you think they're going to get blown out, it's always close. And I will say to their credit, they have been pretty good in big games over the last couple of years with Talia Tonga Viola as their quarterback. Remember last year, a one touchdown game at Michigan, they easily could have won. And when they played Ohio State at home, that was a one possession game late into the fourth quarter. Talia had the ball deep in his own territory. He fumbles it. It's recovered for a touchdown. Ohio State ends up winning by double figures. I just bring it up the same. They always play people tough, but my concerns with Maryland are pretty straightforward. They haven't played anybody. Like I talk about Missouri hasn't played anybody. At least Missouri played Kansas State, which is ranked. I say Louisville hasn't played anybody. At least Louisville played at NC State. Maryland has played as follows. Towson, they have played Charlotte. They have played the University of Virginia, and they have played Michigan State and Indiana, which might be the two worst teams in the Big Ten. Just for fun, I looked it up just to see how bad they were. How about this? None of Maryland's five opponents so far is in the top 80 nationally on offense. In other words, 133 teams. There's nobody in the top 60% of that group. They haven't played a top 50 defense yet. They've faced Charlotte first year head coach, Virginia, Tony Elliott. It's only year two, but it's not going well. Uh, Interim head coach at Michigan state. And I think Tom Allen's ultimately going to get fired at Indiana after this year. So I just bring it up to say, I just haven't seen them against elite competition. And I do worry about a couple things. Are they that good? But more importantly, are they balanced enough? They're they're in the bottom half of college football in rushing yards. They do force a lot of turnovers, but are they a team that is going to be good enough defensively? I know that I said I've missed on a million, but I a million of these games, but I do like Maryland to win this game. I just think it's the right spot at the right time in the right moment for Maryland. Or excuse me, oh, I think I said Maryland. I do like Ohio State to win this game and cover. Let, let's let's not get that twisted. Let's not get that twisted. I have Ohio State winning and covering. I think this is like a 42 to 14 type game. Ohio State's coming off a bye. Off that emotional win against Notre Dame, having that week off, I think is huge. They got to get ready for a tough second half of the year. And I think they take care of business here. Really quickly, a couple other um, just games to just talk about. Um, I'm not going to break down Michigan, uh, Michigan and uh, Minnesota, but I'll just say this. Just let's talk this one out. Okay. Michigan is playing at Minnesota. If you had to describe Minnesota, how would you? Really good running game, great defense, can't pass the ball lick. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Nebraska last week. In Nebraska, we did the preview, and I made the argument that Nebraska could keep that game close. It was 28-0 at halftime, 45-7 is the final score. And so if 
Minnesota is probably a worse version of Nebraska at this point in the year. Now I know Minnesota beat Nebraska head to head, but Nebraska has gotten better. Minnesota's not. I don't know how Minnesota keeps this game close. Um, they're a worse version of the team that Michigan just beat by 35 last week. Now, listen, turnovers can happen. Weird stuff can happen, whatever. I think Michigan wins and covers. I don't see the scenario that Minnesota can move the ball on this Michigan defense. A couple other games, you know, Arkansas at Ole Miss. Listen, I know the the Arkansas fans uh, are ready to be done with the Sam Pittman era. Right or wrong, I think they rally in this game. This is a game that K.J. Jefferson always plays well in. K.J. Jefferson is from Mississippi, about 20, 25 minutes from the Ole Miss campus, was not recruited. Last year, they beat Ole Miss heads up, straight up, excuse me. The year before, they lost by one point, being an 11-point underdog on the road. Ole Miss off an emotional win. I like Arkansas to cover. Uh, Colorado. Have not talked Colorado. First college football podcast all year that no one has mentioned Colorado. They're a four-point favorite at Arizona State. I think they roll. I mean, listen, I'll say this about Colorado, and I don't think this has been talked about enough, is that everybody is quick to kind of have the conversation about Colorado. Um, you know, the defense is terrible to this. You understand that of the five teams they've played, four of them are in the top 30 nationally in total offense. Now, some of that is because they played Colorado. But Oregon is elite on offense. USC is elite on offense. TCU might be a mess in other places, but they're elite on offense. Colorado State is 30th nationally in total offense. So this is by far the worst offense that Colorado will have played all year. I think going on the road, a little bit less noise, I think that'll be good for Colorado as well. I think they win and cover that one. I actually, that's one of my best bets of the week. I think they win and cover that one easily. Colorado takes care of business. All right, I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. I don't think I've missed any other big games. And I do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the College Football Betting Show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the College Football Betting Show. Also, make sure to find the YouTube channel. Do your boy a favor. Do your boy a solid. Go ahead and find us on YouTube, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Easy to find. um, And we appreciate your support there. The channel is growing quickly, and I cannot thank you all enough. That's all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. I will be back next week. How about this? To preview week seven of college football. After this weekend, much of college football will have hit the halfway point of their season. Where did the year go? How did we get here? We're already at week six. Enjoy this weekend. though. It's going to be a fun one. We'll be back again. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to subscribe to YouTube and also DraftKings Sportsbook, DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in your own spend.